When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast for teachers' grade sports' biggest issues. We've got a short episode this week as we're in between the holiday and the new year, but we want to make sure we got you a few gold stars and a few theses. So without further ado, let's dive right in. First gold star is going to go to the Oklahoma City Thunder's Josh Giddy with the rare no point double-double. That's right, no points, but he had 10 rebounds and 10 assists. Got himself in a weird collection with him and Ben Wallace and a couple other players over the course of the 75 years NBA history that can manage to get a double-double without scoring the 10 points. It's worth noting the 10 points is the easiest part of this because obviously every time you score a basket, you get two points. Second gold star goes to Miss Jennifer King, the first black female game day coach in the NFL, who's actually coached two games since our last recording. Uh, the Washington football team, after a couple of COVID cases and a postponement, have played two games in the last seven days. But Jennifer King has been on the sideline coaching the running backs for both of them. Shout out to Jennifer King. She's one of 12 female assistant coaches in the NFL this season and the first black female assistant coach to make it into a game day headset situation congrats to her shout out jim king and the washington football team even though the sunday night was not a great night doing big things gold star to odell beckham jr and justin jefferson for their matching lsu shirts i love the lsu camaraderie here i also think it's worth pointing out that they clearly knew the moment the la rams played the minnesota vikings on sunday justin jefferson 
in that game, set the record for the most yards in the first two seasons by a wide receiver. Worth pointing out that that record was previously held by, yes, Odell Beckham Jr., another LSU product. Kind of in a similar circumstance for both. Looks like Jeff, Justin Jefferson is going to be struggling to make the playoffs again after a second, again, record-breaking season. Kind of like those first couple years for Odell Beckham in New York. Worth pointing out that maybe there goes more, maybe more goes into it than just wins and losses for a receiver. Also worth pointing out that both of these LSU guys were extremely under-recruited LSU guys. Beckham was a three-star out of New Orleans. Justin Jefferson was a no-star recruit, and they're both at the top of the record books, setting NFL records for most yards in their first two seasons. Congrats to Justin Jefferson and Odell Beckham for recognizing the moment and the team camaraderie. Last gold stars are going to go to another pair of guys doing something really cool on Sunday. We're giving them to Lane Johnson and Terrence Steele for big man touchdowns. You heard that right. Big man touchdowns. Offensive linemen Lane Johnson and Terrence Steele both caught touchdown passes in the course of their blowout victories on Sunday. Philadelphia Eagles beat the New York Giants handily, as did the Dallas Cowboys over the Washington football team on Sunday night. Both these NFC East champions did manage to pull away. a. It was a rollout to the right with the tackle leaking out, tackle eligible type of play. Very similar play calls for both of them. We love seeing big men score. Shout out to Lane Johnson and Terrence Steele. All right, as it is this week between the holiday and the new year, we're going to go with no detentions this week, no negative vibes. Could we throw out some negative vibes? Absolutely, but we're not going to do that this week. We're just going to get ready for the new year and enjoy the holiday season. Speaking of the holiday season, the holiday season is upon us, and my bookie is in the giving spirit with 12 straight days of giveaways every day at this new exclusive promotion for you to redeem. And the best part is it's all free when you sign up and make your first deposit with my bookie. Between December 21st and January 1st, so this whole week, you can bring in the new year right with giveaways that can help you fill your stocking with cash this season. From odd boost to casino chips to straight locks, my bookie's 12 days of, hot of giveaways is a can't miss promotion. And that's not all. You, to get started, my bookie is matching all first time deposits $1,000 with our promo code FN Sports. That's F I N S P O R T S. That's double your funds to double your winnings and get in on all the best action at my bookie. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code FN Sports. Head to mybookie.com, place your bets, get in on the best 12 days of the year today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, so we got a couple of theses to read this week. The first one is going to be, or the first two, I should say, are going to be quotes from different people in sports that kind of bring up some interesting ideas. And the last one's a thought I had over the weekend while watching football. So without further ado, let's dive in. First, we're going to start with some basketball. All right, so over the weekend, Stan Van Gundy, former coach of the New Orleans Pelicans, former coach of the Detroit Pistons, former coach of Atlanta Magic, and a few other stops along the way, Dan Van Gundy said that in the NBA, achieving a triple-double does not mean the player played well. If you know me, you probably could have guessed my take on this, but I'm going to give that thesis an A, so let's dive in. All right, the thesis reads, as Dan Van Gundy said over the weekend, in the NBA, achieving a triple-double does not mean that the player played well. So first, we're going to start with what a triple-double is. For the uninitiated, it is achieving 10 or more in three 
different statistical categories. So 10 or more points, 10 or more assists, 10 or more rebounds, 10 or more blocks, 10 or more steals. I guess technically you could throw turnovers in there, but those aren't things you want, so we don't really throw those in. It's a very, very fun stat to keep track of. Obviously, Russell Westbrook is the king of it. He's averaged it for four of the last five seasons. And I think it's interesting to point out that outside of Russell Westbrook and Oscar Robertson many decades ago, it's kind of an anomaly type stat. We've seen it increase as usage rates have increased across the NBA in the last 15 years. But generally speaking, across the 75-year landscape of the NBA, outside of those two guys, you really don't have this happening a whole lot. Like when Jason Kidd would get 10 triple-doubles in a season, it was like, oh man, that's a great season. Now that's kind of oh, he's the guy that has the ball the most on that team. And so I will say that this is probably even more true now as the stats become more and more devalued. I think one key issue with the triple-double as far as determining if a player had a good game or not, not an impactful game or not, but a good game or not, is that it's too, too basic. It utilizes simple, simple counting stats. You've got guys that just add up their 10 points, add up their 10 rebounds, add up their 10 assists, but you don't take into any sort of account the types of situations those things are happening in. So like if six of your 10 points happens in the fourth quarter, once you're down by 25, who cares? It doesn't take into account any of the situations about the rebounds where like, yes, you got a bunch of rebounds, but like was your teammate boxing out and letting you walk up and grab the ball? Or were you actually hustling for the ball? Were you boxing your man out? Those like, there's no, articulation as to those things in the basic counting stats either. And then with the assist part of this too, it's also interesting worth pointing out that like some of the best plays in basketball are actually like the hockey assist pass where you pass to one guy and it forced the defensive rotation, they pass around. It also doesn't take account to any great pass you throw, the guy just misses the jump shot, right? Where you drive in the lane, make a great kick out and the guy just misses. Those kinds of things are all not factored into a triple-double. Other part of the assist thing that I've always had an issue with is actually that when you pass to a guy and they foul him, if he makes his free throws, you don't get the assists either, even though theoretically, anyway, I have a problem with that because you did pass to a guy scoring and he doesn't get assist because he doesn't get the basket, but you led to the, anyway, I, I have a real issue with that, so I don't like that one either. But what I will say is an issue here to me seems like as we've gone on and the usage rates have gone up, more and more single creator initiator types are dominating the ball in a way that like Westbrook and Harden and Kyrie and LeBron and these scoring playmaking type of players are more commonly found throughout the NBA in a way that they weren't maybe before the year 2000, right? You had a much more traditional point guard, a much more traditional shooting guard, a much more traditional small forward, and those everyone, every one of those positions had a role and ran a different type of offense. And in modern offense, it's whatever position you want to call my best player. If I've got Jason Tatum, he's going to get the ball in the wing and he's going to attack, and we might set a screen for him to attack or something, but he's going to puncture your defense and he's going to kick out to wherever you rotate over to help. And that's a very common offense that everyone is running in some form or fashion. There isn't a whole lot of people running Reggie Miller off a bunch of screens like they used to. Even Steph Curry, which you could call close, is doing a lot of the penetrating kicking himself. Also worth pointing out that while he's doing that, when he's not doing that, he's running off of the screens like the Reggie Miller style thing. You got Draymond Green doing Mr. Triple Double as far as the point forward types go in the NBA will be running through the same kinds of things. And so 
I see this as a very, very basic stat. I also think it's worth pointing out that because we value it to a certain degree and there are certain you know things written in contracts and we keep track of who's got how many on the season and we keep track of who's got how many all time and this and that and the other thing, you've got situations where guys let their teammates get rebounds or guys intentionally start feeding the ball to this, that, and the other type of situation just to help their buddy get the triple-double. And while I do like that as a teammate perspective, I like the idea of like, oh, my buddy gets an extra hundred grand if he gets a triple-double this season. I'm going to make sure I let him grab this rebound. That's being a good teammate. And frankly, it kind of exploits the system in a good way for the players. I will say that those kinds of things have also devoured it in my head. When we go back to the 2017 season and MVP Russell Westbrook is on his MVP chase and getting all these triple-doubles, the amount of statistics coming out about how many uncontested rebounds he had as far as getting into the real weeds of analytics on it were fascinating. It's not to say that anyone is always going to have contested rebounds and have zero uncontested, but he was having a lot of uncontested rebounds while guys like Steven Adams were holding opponents back, letting him go get the ball to make sure he got to his triple-double. And those kinds of things are always kind of throwing asterisks but not asterisks and always making me kind of wonder, do you really need to value this like we value it and those kinds of things on stats. The other bit of this is is that there's an aspect of triple-double that is selfish and I understand basketball can be a selfish game. I mean at some point in possession someone's going to say I'm putting this ball in the hole no matter what if there's a defender there or not or whatever, right? Like, I get that that's an aspect of basketball but the same way that like Rajon Rondo has had selfish leading the league in assist types of seasons or the same way that diving at the basket and attacking the defense and whatever can lead to selfish scores a triple double is a selfish stat i mean you'd you'd rather get the assist than the hockey assist than the good play than the whatever because it's feeding into your triple double count right it's the same way that you'd rather you go get the rebound as opposed to you i don't know being in the proper position on the help side or going and boxing a guy out or whatever to make sure you get your triple doubled. So I do think there's some aspect of that. The last thing I'll say is that if you look at guys across the NBA that like regularly get the triple double currently, obviously you have Russell Westbrook at the top, Harden's fairly high up there, Chris Paul is fairly high up there. These are guys that traditionally are close but no cigar when it comes to winning with Russell Westbrook potentially being even further away than that. And I think that that's worth pointing out as well because typically like Harden has been very close to winning Chris Paul has been very close to winning. Together, they were very, very close to winning the whole thing, but they didn't, and they play in this style where it dominates and gets a lot of triple-doubles. Russell Westbrook, the season he averaged a triple-double, they got a six-seed, and they got bounced in the first round in a five-game series. Like This is not a winning formula. It is a dominant formula. It is a formula that indicates a player had a lot of control and say over a game, but I think the narrative that it means he had a good game is worth examining. I think Stan Van Gundy is right on in this, and so that's why the thesis gets an A. All right, in a similar vein, our second thesis comes from Deion Sanders' tweet over the weekend. Now, Deion Sanders tweeted this out, didn't say it to anyone, but he did tweet it out from his verified Twitter account. Coach Prime said, Trevon Diggs should be the NFL MVP, or at least in the conversation. Defense player of the year is already at his crib. Stop playing NFL and just make a most valuable quarterback, please, so you can continue to shower your highest paid players. This man is doing what hadn't been done in a long time. 
Now I'm gonna give that thesis like a C plus. I'm sitting at like a C plus and let's dive in. All right, so I gave this thesis a C plus and it's really kind of twofold because it's kind of split into two parts. And so I wanna start with the first part. The first part is when Dion said, Trayvon Diggs should be the NFL MVP or at least in conversation, defense player of the year is already at his crib. All right, I'm not sure defensive player of the year is at his crib. Now, I, people listen to the show know that I'm a Cowboys guy. People listen to the show that know that I have been a big fan of Trayvon Diggs this season. He's had a great year. As of the time recording this, he now has his 11th interception on the season, and that is tying the Cowboys franchise record. And it puts him three away with two games left from the all-time NFL record for interceptions in a season that is currently 14, set by Dick Knight Train Lane in 1952. So that's a long-time standing record because, frankly, now you see guys just stop throwing at these kinds of guys, and so I think that that's fair to point out that it's a 70-year-old record that Trayvon Diggs is going toward. But the reason people keep throwing at Trayvon Diggs, unlike they do other guys like the Revises of the world and so on, is because he's also given up more yards where he's the, you know, the primary defender or the way they're st statting that out on pro football focus is things like the closest defender when the catch is made. He is giving up the most yards in the league in that category as a defender. And so that's also worth pointing out, I think, that he is a high-risk, high-reward, gambling type of cornerback that goes for it all and tries to bait these throws, and he doesn't always win. He does often win, and that's why he's got 11 interceptions. That's why the Cowboys defense is playing so well. He has a number of other pass breakups and so on as well. But I, I just I hesitate to say that the guy giving up the most yards thrown his way is necessarily going to get the Defensive Player of the Year award. I wonder if he's even the closest thing to the defensive player of the year on his own team. I watch the Cowboys play fairly regularly, and I have to say, Micah Parsons, I, I think that you know the Lawrence Taylor comparisons are a little steep, but he is having the kind of season where he is both rushing the passer and dropping back in a pass and playing the run all at the same time at an elite level. Like Parsons has the defensive rookie of the year locked up for sure, but I wonder if he really is more in the running for the Defensive Player of the Year award than people realize. And worth pointing out that on CBS's, uh, they did an anonymous, an anonymous coaches poll, or coaches and personnel poll, and it does look like he is in second on their poll. It looks like to me that's worth pointing out, Parsons and Trayvon Diggs are on the same team, and a lot of the good things happening for Trayvon Diggs on the back end are happening because of the chaos that Micah Parsons and to his credit to Marcus Lawrence or have causing on the front end of the Dallas Cowboys defense. And so I think that the Micah Parsons role in modern football is probably more important because he's doing more things and I would probably hedge some there. I also think it's fascinating to see a linebacker sized guy do things at all three phases of the game where he's rushing the passer like a defensive end covering and stopping the run like a linebacker. But then occasionally they'll drop him to a true Tampa 2 and send him straight down the middle of the field like a free safety. And it's really fascinating to watch this type of athlete that can do all three things. And that's just staying on the Cowboys roster. We haven't even jumped over to the Pittsburgh Steelers and TJ Watt. Well, the Steelers have had a somewhat you know, disappointing season for what they expect year in, year out. TJ Watt really has had a tremendous a defensive player of the year caliber season all over again. 
He's leading the league at 17 and a half sacks, which is more than he had last year and more than anyone else in the league. He has 17 tackles for loss. He has gotten in on uh, 54 total tackles. He's got 31 QB hits. He's got a lot of different stats going his way. And I don't think when watching TJ Watt, the stats articulate quite well exactly the way he dominates a football game as a true linebacker, I guess I'll say, at the line of scrimmage. I think it's worth pointing out that he is also in this category. As much as Dion's going to love the corner from the Dallas Cowboys, I think that it's worth pointing out that T.J. Watt is having another defense player of the year type season, even if the Pittsburgh Steelers are not having a great year. Now as for the latter half of Dion's points, where he says, stop playing NFL and just make an MVQB, so most valued quarterback, please, so you can sh- continue to shower your highest paid players. I think this is where Dion's point shoots up to the C+, because that's an A. that half of the thesis is an A. The quarterback position disproportionately wins the MVP award. Since the year 2000, we had Marshall Falk win it in 2000 as a running back. Then we had Sean Alexander, Damian Tomlinson win it back-to-back years in the mid-aughts as running backs. And then we had Adrian Peterson win it in 2012 as a running back. Other than that, it's been all quarterbacks. It's been Kurt Warner, Rich Gannon, Peyton Manning, Steve McNair, Peyton Manning again, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Patrick Mullins, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, boom, 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 all up and down, like quarterback, 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 and frankly, a lot of the same quarterbacks, and I understand how much a quarterback impacts the offensive half of a football game. I even understand how an offense can slow down a defense in a way that it's hard for a defense to do the same to an opposing offense, but I just have to say that I feel like giving the MVP award so frequently to a quarterback in modern football negates the idea of what value is to me. I I look at like what Indianapolis is doing and see Jonathan Taylor leading the league in rush yards, rush touchdowns, rush attempts, and that implies so much value for a team that, can you, I mean, yes, the quarterback position is great and all, but like you could put a bunch of people where Carson Wentz is sitting and have Jonathan Taylor doing what Jonathan Taylor is doing this year, and it changes the game up for them a whole, whole heck of a lot. Also worth pointing out, I, I just have to throw this in there because he got hurt earlier this season, that it's crazy that Derrick Henry is still in the top five in all three rush, rush yards, and rush touchdowns categories. As a guy that got hurt several weeks back and is not going to play unless the Titans make the playoffs, that's impressive, and frankly, had he continued on that track, would also be putting Derrick Henry in this type of situation. Those are teams that rely differently on their quarterback than their running back, and they put a lot of the focus in their offense on their running back, and therefore the running back has more of an impact and more value. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only way to do this. I just think it's it's worth pointing out that those types of teams do exist and we probably need to hold on to that and not just give it to the quarterback who has the most wins at the end of the season someone like cooper cup is leading the league in receptions reception yards and receiving touchdowns and is transforming his own role with yes he's got a new quarterback in matt stafford but he is opening up in all kinds of different ways yes he lines up traditionally in the slot but he also lines up on the outside he also lines up in the backfield sometimes falls out to the flat he has a bunch of different things and is therefore very valuable because of his versatility and how the LA Rams use him and defense have to account for him in a way that makes him extremely, extremely valuable. Now, 
does Dion have a point that those are also all offensive players and maybe have my own bias on the offensive side of the ball and those kind of things? Probably. Could you look at it and think of someone like TJ Watt again as a hyper valuable player on the defensive side? And maybe that means most valuable because can you imagine how many points that team would be giving up without TJ Watt on the team and how many losses they therefore would have? Absolutely. Could you look at the impact of Devin White or Levante David on the Tampa Bay defense and be like, oh man, look at how crazy that that defense is. Look at Levante Davis in there being the middle linebacker, controlling the whole thing. Or Devin White's played all the games, so maybe that's fair. Whatever the case may be, oh man, look at and look at the value there. Absolutely. But this idea that it just goes to the best quarterback on the top team or just the quarterback on the team with the most wins in the season or whatever is outplayed. It's done. It's over. It seems to be the case every year. And that's where I think Dion really has his better point so this thesis lands at about a c plus i think that's a really strong point and his first point was yeah so c plus to dion don't tell coach prime i said so i, I don't want to get in bad favor with coach prime but c plus to dion okay parker so the thesis statement for this commercial is james harden has the best beard in sports what do you think about that thesis statement Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right. Our third and final thesis is short, sweet, and to the point. But it, it just popped in my head after watching football over the weekend. And, and obviously, if you can't tell, I watched a lot of football over the weekend. The thesis reads that the Cleveland Browns need to put Baker Mayfield on the shelf. I'm sitting here thinking that's like a B as I read it. So I'm going to give that thesis a B. Let's break it down. All right. Fourth year pro Baker Mayfield sits in the backfield taking snaps with a clearly battered, bruised, and beaten body. The Browns are 7-8. and eight. Worth pointing out that one of their seven wins, Baker Mayfield didn't actually suit up for. They're fourth in the AFC North, but are weirdly not mathematically out. 8-7 and seven is currently in the playoffs. The Ravens are 8-7 and seven and in the seventh seed. You know, without working out every single tiebreaker, there is a real situation where the Browns could win out and get to 9-8, and eight, and you could have some giant tie with they and the Ravens and Cincinnati and so on all sitting up there around nine and eight uh, because a couple of the teams play each other this year. Cleveland's last two games were against Pittsburgh, who's we've talked about a couple different times now, has kind of looked like they're falling apart down the stretch this season. And then they play Cincinnati, who they had a big, big and easy win over earlier 
this season, and they get them at home. I have to imagine that that's a game that Cleveland needs to count as a win, not just to have a shot at making the playoffs and back, backing their way in, but just because for some moral victory points of having beaten them so badly earlier this season, you'd hope that you can finish out on a win on the, against them at home. I want to get Baker's stats, though, as far as how he's played in this 500 season since he got hurt because he sat out week seven. I think we can all assume that if he sat out week seven, whether we got hurt more before or more after or whenever more injuries happened, that that's about the time when the injuries started piling up to a degree that he felt like he needed to sit down. Since sitting out in week seven, he's broke 65% completions just twice and been under 55% completions three different times. He's thrown eight interceptions, notably four against Green Bay on Saturday, and he's had 16 different sacks to just 15 different times he's rushed the football. Baker's mobility is a big part of who he is, and if he cannot move around back there, he clearly cannot be the same type of passer. If he can get out of the pocket, his passing completion percentage is going to drop. If he can't get out of the pocket, he's going to throw it to the wrong team a few more times. If he can't get out of the pocket and run away from people, he's going to get hit in the backfield and taken down for a loss. That's just the reality of how Baker plays football and what it looks like to see this guy hobbled back there in the backfield. I think it's worth pulling him out to see if you can get him healthy over the course of a couple weeks and see if Keenum can jump shot, jump start you and get you into the playoffs, right? And Keenum's lone start this season, he was 21 and 39 with 199 yards and a touchdown and just had the one sack. Also pointing out he was 8 of 12 for 81 yards when he came in as a sub in the New England game. They're getting blown out and they pulled him in. Keenum is a guy that's played this role a couple different times in his career. And I think it on the grand scheme of things that pulling him in now and putting Baker on the shelf for a couple weeks either helps Baker get healthy long-term, you can reassess in a couple weeks if Keenum wins a couple games and gets you in the playoffs, you know, do you reassess right in the hot hand, putting the health guy back in, and so on. And and I just think that you're either going to lose out on this season with a hurt Baker or roll a dice on seeing if you can get in without him. And I think it's kind of time for them on the long-term investment to see if they can get in without him. Looks like they have one more year left to pay him. They have a lot of money owed his way next year when he signed. But he is an unrestricted free agent in 2023. And I just, I feel like if you're looking at his contract and ways to pay him, that it looks like you probably ought to just go ahead and protect your asset because you invested a lot into this guy. And thus, you're going to have to ride him potentially long term. I mean, you can't gamble and think that, oh, but in 2023, we're going to pull in, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers because he's unhappy, or we're going to pull in Russell Wilson. Like, those kinds of things, as weird as it is that a couple have happened lately, don't seem to happen frequently enough that Cleveland can bank on pulling one of those guys in. And if you're going to really be invested in Baker, I think it's worth protecting his long-term health before he gets rattled around too much back there and sitting him and rolling your dice with the next guy. I also think that it's worth pointing out that these Cleveland Browns maybe need that swift kick in the tail. I mean, they, they've been underperforming all season with the exception of the like big win over the Bengals or big win over the Bears or whatever. They really, by and large, have kind of had a disappointing season for, again, this is like the third or fourth disappointing season in the last half dozen years if you're really looking at like what everyone thought was going to be a, a resurgence of Brown football. And so... I would say at this point, you might need to just cut your losses, call it a year, and see if Keenum can back your way in. And if he can't, he can't. But I think it's time for them to look into that.
friends, that is another short edition of F in Sports. Do you feel like you're caught up on the sports from the weekend, from holiday weekend, I should say? If you're enjoying things on the Belly Up Sports Network, be sure to go check out the Broadway Hat Podcast. It's a great look at the New York Rangers. It's a very, very in-depth look, I should say, at the New York Rangers. It's a great show but run by Kyle. Kyle's a great guy. So go check that one out. If you've got thoughts on the show, be sure to find me on social media. You can find me at Painsworth. 512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's my personal stuff. That's where I'll be posting all podcast episodes, things I'm writing, things I'm featured on, or, you know, various things like L's on sneakers, things like the Texas Longhorns, Houston Rockets, Dallas Cowboys, and so on. Astros talk shouldn't happen for a while until the lockout's over, so we'll talk about that. Then, as far as this show, you can find this show on social media. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports, and on Twitter, we're at FN Sports, so that's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word. If you go to those social media pages, you'll be able to find links to our merch store. Yes, our merchandise store. You can find all kinds of different apparel. We have charitable donation t-shirts for several months now. Uh, December is a special Flunk Hunger collection, in which you'll be able to find t-shirts that proceeds go to the Feeding America Food Bank. As for January, our January charity is going to be Big Brothers and Big Sisters. We have a role model t-shirt and sweatshirt you're able to get on the merch store. We always have other FN Sports classics, so make sure you go check out the merch store on our social media handles. Again, on Instagram, we're at F underscore and underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at FN Sports 2, F-I-N-S-B-R-T-S number 2, all one word. Be sure to like, subscribe, download, rate, review, do all the wonderful things that help the podcast out. And remember, whatever you do, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.